Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So Revelation chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, we have some Bibles in the back. But Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. That Greek word uh, for revelation is apocalypse. You've probably heard of that before, I'm sure. Uh, but really what, what it simply means is an unveiling of something hidden. And so what's hidden? What's being unveiled? Well, God is going to unveil. He's going to reveal Jesus Christ to us. It's which God the Father gave Jesus, gave him Jesus to show his servants, which are you and I. So it's applicable for us this morning. What's interesting to me is that God is, uh, God the Father is the originator and the initiator of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know about those things which must shortly take place. In fact, he mentions it four times in the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, verse 6, he talks about things which must shortly take place. Revelation 22, verse 10, so the time is at hand. Revelation 22, verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly. And Revelation 22, verse 20, surely I am coming quickly. Now, when he says, I'm coming quickly, it's not only quick in the sense of how long. Now, for you and I, it's like, it's been 2,000 years, and he hasn't come yet. But you know, the Bible says with the Lord, a day is as a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is a day. So for him, he's only been gone for the weekend. He's only been gone for two days. He's coming back on Monday, so who knows? But, um, but seriously, it's not only in the sense of how long, but also how quickly. Once these events that are described in the book of Re- Revelation begin, it's, it's fast. It's soon before the Lord's return. And so, uh, verse 3, Blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So that's a blessing for you and I uh, to read it, to hear it, and to keep those things. Well, I want to focus on that last thing, keeping those things which are written in it. It's a Greek word, tereo, and it comes from a root word to a watch, not the kind that you put on your wrist, but, you know, I was in the military and I, I stood watch, you know, so you, I have a good understanding of it. It's basically you're guarding something, and that's what it means. It means to guard from loss or injury uh, by keeping your eye upon something. And uh, by implication, it means to detain in custody. And so I can understand uh, keeping an eye on the words of prophecy. You know, we have people that, uh, you know, they read scriptures, and, and it's interesting. Nowadays, you can pretty much read your Bible and have a newspaper next to it, and you can see, you know, just how the things are starting to fall into place. So I can understand keeping an eye on the words of prophecy, but how do I keep or detain or keep in custody the words of this prop- prophecy? And I think the answer is in the next few verses. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the uh, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and ruler over the kings of the earth. 
to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. If you, you know, I remember growing up in a church where that was kind of a doxology. They would, they would basically greet the church with this. But this revelation of Jesus Christ impacted the apostle John to the point that what he says in his greeting here is based on the revelation. It's based on what was revealed to him that he had received. And so he, I believe, is doing what God wants and will bless us for. He's keeping the truths of revelation in custody. In other words, they're hidden in his heart. He's detaining them in his heart. And so it comes out in this, in this greeting to the churches. He's keeping the words of this prophecy. You know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever your heart's on, you know, you're going to be speaking about it. Well, John has just received this tremendous revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's all he's thinking about, and that's all he's talking about. So this greeting, it's interesting. It's all based on what he saw in his revelation on the island of Patmos. And what we're going to do this morning is I want to take a look at these these phrases that are in this doxology and this greeting in these few verses. And we're, I'm going to have you looking at Scripture. So if you have your Bible, we're going to just stick in the book of Revelation so you don't have to go thumbing all over your Bible. We're just going to be looking at different passages in Revelation. But I want to show to you where John is getting all these things that he's saying. So the, verse, the very first thing he says there in verse 4, he says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And you don't even have to turn a page. You could just go down to verse 8, which we'll talk about in a few minutes here. Jesus himself starts speaking there in the first chapter, describing himself. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking about his deity, right? John 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus here is speaking about his his deity, also his eternal nature, right? We read in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then not only that, but his steadfastness. Psalm 102.25 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And so John here, he's already, he's basing it, you know, he's looking at verse 8 here. This is what this grace to you and peace from him who was and who, who is and who was and who is to come. And then continuing there in verse 4, he says, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Well, who's the seven spirits? I don't believe they're angels. I believe this is speaking of God, the Holy Spirit. Where does he get that from? Well, in Revelation 3 verse 1. Jesus is speaking, says, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. Revelation 4, verse 5. Go ahead and turn there if you want. 
Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. And you were told here, which are the seven spirits of God? A couple pages or maybe a page over, Revelation 5 verse 6. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now the seven spirits, what's the deal with the seven spirits? Well, seven is the number of fullness and completion in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying this is, but it's possible that this is based on what Isaiah said. And you don't have to turn there because I have it on the screen here. Isaiah 11, verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So I think this is speaking just of the fullness and the completeness of the spirit of God. Then when you jump down to verse 5 of Revelation 1, it says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Where did he get that? Turn to Revelation 3, verse 14. Again, Jesus is speaking here. These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Jump to the back of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. A couple pages over, Revelation 21, verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Revelation 26, verse 6. These words are faithful and true. He's faithful concerning the testimony of himself. You can trust what the Lord Jesus Christ says about himself. He was faithful in communicating what God the Father said. He said, I don't say anything except for what the Father tells me to say. And he was faithful in teaching us the way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He was faithful as a witness. Continuing on there in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, the firstborn from the dead. Where does he get that? Revelation 1 verse 18. Jesus speaking there. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Chapter 2 verse 8. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Now, firstborn, it's not necessarily in the sense of the first in sequence, but what, what the Bible is speaking about firstborn is basically in preeminence. Uh, Romans 8.29, we're told, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He is preeminent, and we're to be created, or we're to be molded into his image. Colossians 1 verse 18, Paul says this, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So this is what's speaking about being the firstborn from the dead. Verse 5 continues. He says, And the ruler over the kings of the earth. Where did John see that? Revelation 6 verse 15 and 16. I'm going to slow down because probably, I'm probably maybe going too fast here. 
give you a chance to look it up. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. A few chapters over, chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Chapter 17, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Chapter 19, verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I just want to give you a hint. There's a reason why I'm going through all these verses, and I'll explain it when we get to the end here. Verse 5, continuing in chapter 1, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Where did John see that? Revelation 3, verse 9. Jesus speaking. He says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not uh, and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Verse 19 of chapter 3. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Chapter 7, verse 14. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 17 of chapter 7. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to fountains of of living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Chapter 1 verse 6. He says, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. We'll turn to Revelation 5 verse 9. It says, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over the second death, Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now if you look further on in uh, verse 6 of chapter 1, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Turn to Revelation 4, verses 9 through 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. 
saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The next chapter over, chapter 5, verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Can you imagine? John is witnessing all creation worshiping and praising God. It impacted John. Verse 7. He says this, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Well, he saw that in Revelation 6, verses 15 and 16. And the kings of the earth the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the rocks and mountains, or said to the mountain and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Chapter 14, verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. When we get to chapter 14, we'll discover that is Jesus. Remember back in verse 3, I said, I quoted it to you, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it. The reason why I went through all those different passages wasn't just to kind of get your thumbs warmed up for this morning. It's my prayer that at the end of going through and teaching through the book of Revelation, that we too are going to have the revelation of Jesus Christ inside of our hearts. I mean, it's going to be there. We're going to be so impacted by what we study and what we read that there's a blessing in it for us if we do that. And that will impact us. That's my prayer for us as we go through the book of Revelation. So let's move on here. Verse 8, I mentioned this already. Jesus himself interjects at this point, And he says this in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, why is that there? Why did Jesus do this right at this point? I think what it's showing us is that this is not just John's, a record of John's vision, but it's corroborated by none other than Jesus himself. And so verse 9 begins, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, let's talk a little bit about the author. Who is this John? Well, most people, myself included, believe that this is John the Apostle. 
Now, according to Paul in Galatians 2, John was present with the other uh, apostles at Jerusalem. When Paul, he had, he had been gone for about 14 years or so, and he returned to Jerusalem early on in his ministry. At that point, John the apostle was there. But later on in the book of Acts, it appears that John is not present at Jerusalem. Where did John go? What happened to him? Well, the testimony of the second century church is that John became the head of the church of Ephesus. And according to church history, the emperor Domitian had John arrested from Ephesus. He was taken to Rome. Tradition has it that uh, he was thrown into a vat of boiling oil, but miraculously survived. And at that point, he was sent to the Isle of Patmos. What is the Isle of Patmos? Well, it's, uh, I guess it's, I haven't been there, I haven't seen it, but it's, it's actually, I got a picture, I, I found it on the internet, that's apparently a view of the Isle of, of Patmos, but it was kind of in, in, it was like a Roman Alcatraz, if you're familiar with Alcatraz, if you've ever been to San Francisco Bay Area, you're, you know, you got the city all around you and you got this little island out in the middle of the water, well that was, for many years, that was a prison. That was where they kept Al Capone and other famous or notorious prisoners were kept there. And it, it was basically the island itself was a prison because you couldn't swim. And there's been some stories of those that supposedly swam away. But, you know, chances are you wouldn't survive swimming. And so you were stuck on this island. And Patmos was sort of like that. It was a desolate place. It was only 10 miles long and 6 miles wide. And it had lots of marble. And so most of the prisoners were forced to to labor in marble quarries on this island. And so John was banished to this island of Patmos. And later on, according to church tradition, he was released by Emperor Nerva and he retired at Ephesus. He died approximately A.D. 98. And he had outlived all the other apostles. Now you recall when in John chapter 21 when Jesus was, he had already ascended from the, from the dead and, and he was speaking and teaching to his, his disciples. And in John 21, uh, Jesus is telling Peter what, kind of, what his life's going to happen. You know, he's going to be about the fact that he'd be martyred for his faith. And Peter, you know, John's next to him and Peter says, well, what about this guy? What about, what about John? And in John 21, verse 21, it says, Peter, seeing him, seeing John, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You know, sometimes we look at other believers and we go, why, does, why do they have all the breaks? Why does everything go right in their life and it's not going right in my life? And Jesus says, don't worry about them. You follow me. You follow me. Well, Tradition, or there was a saying that John would not die until Jesus returned, the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in a sense, John did witness, you know, whether he was in spirit, bodily, or whatever, he witnessed the second coming of Jesus Christ before he died. So in a sense, it, it did happen in a, in a sense. Well, verse 9, it continues, says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ... This is the Apostle of John. You just see his humility here. Your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of or in Jesus Christ. Now it's kind of interesting to me that the word kingdom is in between 
tribulation and patience. Because, you know, as we're reading through, we're, we're looking at, we have, John says visions of heaven, and we're thinking of the kingdom of heaven, and, and is that what John's talking about? And I don't think so. I think John is talking about the kingdom of God now. You know, if you and I are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, we are members of the kingdom of God at this point in our lives. And so John says, both your companion in the tribulation, kingdom, and patience of Jesus Christ. You see, we are in God's kingdom right now, and we are under Christ's sovereignty right now. No matter what you're going through, whatever you're enduring. And it's interesting because throughout the Revelation, the phrase, it was given, or it was granted, we're going to see this. In, the, in our study in Revelation, Revelation 6, verse 2, talking about the rider on the white horse. It says, a crown was given to him, and he went out to conquer and to conquer. Revelation 6, verse 2, the rider on the red horse. It was granted to him, uh, to the one who sat on it, to take peace from the earth. Revelation 6, verse 8. Eight, excuse me, death, speaking about death, riding on the pale horse, and, and Hades following him. It says, power was given to him, I was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. In Revelation 9, verses 3 through 5, it's speaking about the locusts or some kind of creatures that look like locusts that are released from the bottomless pit. And it says, to them was given power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. For they were, uh, they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. That's fascinating when we get to that there. But they were given the ability to do this. Not only that, but the Antichrist, the beast, as he's described in Revelation 13, verse 5. He said he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. One more. Revelation 16, verse 8. The fourth angel of the bold judgments. Power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Why am I going through all this? Because we're in the kingdom, but you might be enduring some trial or tribulation right now. But you've got to understand, nothing passes through without God's permission. Why is God allowing me to go through that? I can't answer that. But I can tell you this, God loves you. God has a plan and a purpose. And sometimes what we're going through doesn't make any sense. But God does love us. You have to fall back. You, know, you, you, fall, you, you come against things you don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening in my life. Whenever that happens, man, go back to what you know. I know Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so. You always go back to that. So you may be undergoing some great tribulation right now. But the good news is Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You are in the kingdom now. The Lord is in control. It may not feel like it. I'm sure for these people that are going through their tribulation, it's not going to feel like the Lord's in control, but he is in control. And the cheerful, hopeful, steadfastness, patience is yours and mine right now in Jesus Christ. So is I, John, both your brother and companion, the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ are in Jesus Christ. They're only found in Jesus Christ. So hopefully you're encouraged this morning if you're going through any difficult things right now. Let's continue on here, verse 10. 
I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, I don't want to attach too much of a mystical face on this. You know, if you just get in the spirit, then, you know, the same thing's going to happen to you. Um, I think what this is basically referring to is similar to what Peter's vision was in Acts 10. Remember, he was on the roof there in Joppa, and he fell into a trance, and that's when he got the, the vision of the sheet with all the unclean animals. And it was basically, it was a message the Lord was showing, showing Peter that the Gentiles were not unclean, that he was to minister to the Gentiles. It was also probably similar to Paul's vision in 2 Corinthians 12.2. Although Paul doesn't say it was me, but he says, I know a man, and I think it was Paul. Whether in body or out of body, experience was caught up to the third heaven. So I think this is the same sort of thing that is happening here with, uh, with uh, the Apostle John. Now, I will also say this, though. In the book of Joel, we're told in the last days there would be an increase in dreams and visions. And I know some people latch on to that. And then it's like, well, it's the last days and I've got this vision. And, and, you know, I'll just say this. We need to be discerning. Okay, we need to be discerning. There's a demonic deception out there and it's going to get worse and worse as we get closer to the last days. What also is interesting is John mentions four times being in the spirit. Here in chapter one on the island of Patmos, in Revelation 4, 2 in heaven, in Revelation 17, verse 3 in the wilderness, and in Revelation 21, verse 10, in New Jerusalem. So verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in, midst, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So the very first thing John hears this voice, turns around, the first thing he sees is these lampstands. We're going to talk more about this a little later in the, chap- in the chapter. But then he sees one standing in the midst of the lampstands. What is, what is this speaking about? It's speaking about his locality, where he is. And the, you know, it's interesting. This is the only physical description of Jesus Christ we have in scriptures. It's quite different than the way we might think. You know, growing up, I remember this picture, you know, in the, in the little... Bibles that used to get, it was that picture. And I'm like, that's what Jesus looked like. Such a nice guy, you know. Um, but, but this description here doesn't really quite match that. The very first thing we find out is that he's clothed with a garment down to the feet. And what that speaks about is position, about status. Remember Joseph, when we're going through the book of Genesis, Joseph was given that robe of many colors. It was a long robe. It meant that he didn't have to work. He was kind of like in a ruling, you know, in a, in a situation of being, or a position of being, of being ruling. And so what this is speaking about is Christ's royalty. The next thing he noticed is that he was girded about with the chest, excuse me, girded about the chest with a golden band. 
And right away, that, that kind of speaks of what a priest would wear, like the ephod, you know, the apron. Uh, this speaks of his priesthood. And it says his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And of course, right away you think of age, right? This is an old guy. He's got white hair. But it also speaks of purity. And so what I think this, this is speaking of or giving a vision of is, is Christ's timelessness and his wisdom and his purity. And it says his eyes were like a, flaming, a flame of fire. Well, fire in the Bible is a picture of judgment. And so his eyes, it's, it's this penetrating, searching judgment. Jesus Christ looks at us. He, he sees our hearts. He understands our motives. He sees us. It says his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And brass is something that is refined in fire. It's also used in, in, the, in the temple and sacrificial service, the bronze altar, all the brass instruments and the brass uh, utensils and everything. And so this speaks of the sacrifice and the purity in the refiner's fire. In the ancient world, bronze was uh, the strongest metal. And so this also speaks of strength and permanence. And the fact that his feet were like fine brass, I, just, I think it just speaks of his stability. You could trust the Lord. Maybe you can't trust me all the time, but you can trust the Lord. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And if you've ever been to the ocean where there's a constant surf, a constant waving, you know, pounding, it's just, it's just, it's deafening. And, and it's so powerful. And so I think this really speaks of Christ's power and majesty. And then he had in his hand, in his right hand, seven stars. And we're going to look at that a little bit later also. But that speaks of what he's doing. So out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Now that word is the Greek word romphea, and it's, it's describing this long, broad sword, a cutlass. It's a large sword for, for meeting out judgment on enemies. It's compared to, in other places in Scripture, to, a, and I'm not going to have a hard time pronouncing it, but a, a makaira. It's a, it's a knife, or a, it's like a smaller knife, like a dagger, a smaller one for cutting. And so this large sword that's described here, it's speaking of the judgment aspect of the Word of God, because the Word of God is described as a sword in the Scriptures. And it says, His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And right away, think about his transfiguration. And it's speaking about his glory. It's revealing his glory. And so John sees this. Verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. And the first thing that jumps out at me is that he laid his right hand on John. Didn't lay his left hand on. Didn't say, hey, get up. He laid his right hand. A right hand in scriptures, it's always associated with favor and with preference in the Bible. And so you just see the, the tenderness, the compassion of the Lord to, to touch John with his right hand to strengthen John. And he says, don't be afraid. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. 
What's interesting is we're going to learn about a demonic deception that's going to occur during the tribulation, a counterfeit savior. And he's described in the Bible as the beast that was and is not and yet is. We're going to see this counterfeit savior. And we're also going to witness the final vanquishing of the enemy of us all. Our enemy is sin and death. And he's, it's finally going to be vanquished. Jesus is going to conquer sin and death. I mean, he's already conquered sin, but sin and death is going to be destroyed. We'll see that as we go through the book of Revelation. I have the keys of Hades and death. Then verse 19. And I think verse 19 is what kind of gives us the outline of the entire book of Revelation. Verse 19. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And I really do believe this is the, a simple outline of the book of Revelation. The things which you have seen. In other words, what John is witnessing right now in heaven there, that's chapter 1. The things which are is chapters 2 and 3, which are the seven letters to the seven churches. And we'll talk about that next week. It's representative of the church age that we live in now, the things that are. And then the things that will take place after this. And that's chapters 4 through 22, what takes place after the church age. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the seven angels, or excuse me, are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So now we're explained what the mystery of the seven stars were. They are angels of the seven churches. Now, does that mean literal angels? Or does it mean pastors? You know, or does it mean just a general spirit of the church? And I tell you what, you can go to five different commentaries and get six different opinions. Are they literal angels? Well, the word angel does mean messenger, so it could simply imply pastor. But if it did, why didn't... Jesus just used a, a Greek word for the diakonis or the presbytery. You know, the, he, he, there were words for elders or pastors that he could have used. Instead, he used angels. So could it literally be an angel of each church? That's possible. It's entirely possible. You know, pastors come and go, but congregations don't. And it could be that this is a literal angel, that, that each church or, or a group of churches has some literal angel involved in the oversight of that church. I, I don't know the answer, to be honest with you. But what's not important is what it, who, who are the angels of the churches, but what's most important is where they are. And I love that. They're in Christ's right hand. He's holding on to them. He loves them. He loves the churches. They're kept by him. They're protected by him. They're upheld by him. And, and remember, this is seven churches. And as we get to the, book of La- or the church of Laodicea, the apostate church, that's one of the seven churches, and yet it's still in his hand. He still loves that church. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to that chapter. The seven lampstands, he says, are the seven churches. Now, what's interesting about a lampstand, you know, a lampstand doesn't emit light in and of itself. It just It's basically a vessel that holds the light. It's the oil that burns in them that illuminates and shines, illumines and shines uh, to provide light. And it's the same thing with the church. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church that gives it its light. 
We can try to do everything we can to generate light, but it's the Holy Spirit in us and working through us as a body that provides light for the world around us. So what is important here is where Jesus is. He's standing in the midst of the lampstands. He's right there. Now one thing I want to mention, we're going to notice in Revelation, numbers. Numbers are significant in the book of Revelation. In fact, seven, well, there's a lot of different numbers, but seven is one that's going to, we're going to see it over and over and over and over and over again. And like I mentioned earlier, seven means it's a, it's a number of fullness or completion. And there's some obvious things that we're going to see. Bless you, my son. <laughs> there's some obvious things that we're going to see. The spirits of God, right? The seven spirits of God. The seven lampstands. The seven stars. Seven churches. The seven seals. The seven trumpets. The seven bowls. And the seven thunders, among others. But there's also some that are not so obvious. When John says, I heard... That occurs 28 times in the book of Revelation. That's four times seven. He's either going to say, I saw, I looked, or I beheld 49 times. Seven times seven. If you combine those, what he saw and what he heard, it's 77 times. 11 times seven. You know, this isn't written by a man just kind of thinking up things. This is divinely inspired. The book of Revelation is designed and inspired by God, and it's a revelation of Jesus Christ in all his completeness. You know, what's interesting to me is those who are atheists and believe in evolution, you know, I, I just the, the, this right here kind of jumps out. Why are all our calendars, from as far back as, as we know, based on a seven-day week? Why, why did, who came up with a seven-day week? Well, you and I know, right? Seven days of creation. Why are there seven notes that make up a musical scale? I think that's right, isn't it? Like music. I should know that. <laughs> I was going to say them, but I won't, because <laughs> I'll be off key. Um, you know, why the number seven in creation? Why the number seven in our calendars? You know, I can understand one or one. If, if you believe in evolution, I can understand one being a prominent number, or maybe two being a prominent number, right? I can understand 10 being a number that would, would be, you know, in humanity, that's, you know, everything is based on a number 10. But why seven if we evolved from a random event? Well, you and I, hopefully, we know the answer, right? Now, one thing that I didn't do, this is actually, believe it or not, it's an introduction. One of the things that I didn't do is I didn't go through the various interpretations of last day prophecies. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of different ones. And I'm not going to explore each one. I've, I've done that in the past. I don't want to do that. What I'm only going to do as we go through Revelation, I'm going to share what I believe personally to be the accurate interpretation of the book of Revelation. I have friends, family, loved ones that are amillennial. You know, that basically, they believe that the millennium is symbolic. And I have a friend I was talking to not too long ago, and he said, you know, you and I probably have different views on, on, on the, the prophecy of the Revelation. I said, okay, what do you believe? And he says, well, I'm amillennial. He says, I was premillennial, but now I'm amillennial. And I said, that's interesting, because I grew up being amillennial, and now I'm premillennial. And we both chuckled about it. And, you know, we basically both agreed, hey, do you love Jesus? Yeah, 
I love Jesus. Hey, that's all that matters. So if you have a different opinion or a different viewpoint, I'm not knocking him, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying, well, you're wrong, I'm right. I'm just going to share because one of the things, if I go through all the different things, it just gets so confusing. I had a lady come up to me when we had our garage sale out here, a rummage sale, and she said, are you a pre-millennial dispensationalist? Tribu-? You know, and I'm like... I said, I, I think so. <laughs> and I had to go home and Google it. I mean, what is that? I don't even know. I don't know. What I, I guess I am, yeah. <laughs> it can get really confusing. And maybe for some of you, you know, it's like, man, I, I, don't, I just don't want to go through the book of Revelation because it's so confusing. My friend told me this. He said, John Calvin, who was an amillennialist, John Calvin never did a commentary on Revelation. And he goes, he probably was wise not to. Listen, The purpose for the book of Revelation is given in chapter 1. It's to bless the reader and the hearer and the keeper of the words of this book. So let me ask you this question. Would God intentionally make it confusing and mysterious in order to keep most people, except for only those that really can figure it out, to be blessed? No, he wants each one of us to be blessed. It's really not confusing Revelation is not a riddle to confuse us. And some people want to say, well, it's just way too symbolic. There's so much symbols in there. And it's true. Revelation is very rich in symbolism, but it's not to mystify or to confuse you and I. It's to clarify or to emphasize truth that's being revealed to us. Symbols in Revelation, sometimes they'll be totally obvious. It's just we don't need an explanation. They're self-explanatory. In other cases... Symbols will be explained or understood in the immediate context. I mean, for example, we just saw today, the seven lampstands and seven stars. Jesus says, well, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. It's explained. Or you might see it in context right away and understand. Or some of the symbols might be understood in the broader context of Scripture as a whole. For example, in chapter 11... John sees the woman with seven stars that gives birth to the male child. Well, you and I, we just finished doing the book of uh, Genesis, right? And remember that the dreams that Joseph had of his mother and his father and his 12 brothers bowing down to worship him. And and so we understand that this woman with seven stars that gives birth to the male child is the nation of Israel. And it's speaking of the birth of the Messiah. We understand that because we see it in the broader context of Scripture. So it's not that the prophecies of Revelation are hard to understand. I think the issue for many people is it's hard to believe. Because if you take them literally at face value, I mean, think about it. They're so global. They're so severe. How can, that, how can this really, really happen? Well, think back to the days of Noah. Think about this. Who could have imagined before the flood when Noah said God's going to destroy the earth with a flood? Well, first of all, it never rained prior to the flood, right? The water just came up from the ground. There was a mist that watered everything. They had never experienced a rain prior to the flood. So what's rain? So that would have been hard for them to imagine. Not only that, but they couldn't imagine enough rain water to flood. What's a flood? Not only that, but who could have imagined floodwaters high enough to cover every mountain on the planet and kill all living creatures except those on the ark? But it literally happened. 
Who could have imagined it before? But it happened. And so I don't think the book of Revelation is hard to understand. I think it's it's hard to believe for some people. And then I want to address one more thing before we close. And I've had conversations with people before, and, 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 and I know that there's some people that say, you know, I'm, just, I'm not that interested in prophecy, in last day's prophecy. I'm not that interested in it. And, you know, it's funny because there's others that are like, I mean, they're like prophet hounds. You know, they, they just go to every prophecy conference they can. They read every book they can. They, you know, it's just prophecies. Just, that's just all that they spend their time focused on. For those of you that maybe fall into the other group, that are not as interested or fascinated in the last day's prophecies. There's a reason that this is spoken, this book is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of the last days, although that is revealed to us. But the focus of the book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And my prayer for each one of us is that we are going to be impacted by the revelation of Jesus the way John was. The way that's all he could talk about. He blesses people and he just, everything that he saw, just, he just pours it out because that's what's in his heart. And so that's my prayer for each one of us that we too will be excited about what the Bible calls the blessed hope, resurrection, or the return of Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand up and I'll invite the worship team back up and we're going to um, close with a couple worship songs. I want to pray before we do that. And I also want to um, just let you know, we're going to have a couple people at the end of the, at the beginning of the second song. There's going to be a couple people in the back of the church there, in our corner back there for prayer. And uh, if you need prayer for anything, they're there to pray for you, pray with you. And so we want to invite you to make use of that because we don't want anyone to leave with, without any needs met, you know, with, with going into a man. Nothing ever happened for me. I, we, want to, we want you to be able to respond uh, if if the message, you know, the Spirit spoke to you this morning and you want to respond based on that, or maybe there's something going on and you just like prayer for something, the people are in the back there and they're available to pray for you. So that'll be during the second worship song. Lord, we come before you this, this morning. Lord, we thank you for your teaching. Lord, we thank you for your word. And, and Lord, I pray that as we go through the book of Revelation, Lord, that Lord, it might be just an exciting time for us and that, Lord, that our faith would just grow and that, Lord, we would realize that even though the things that we are going through right now are difficult and we look at the world around us and we just see how things are just falling apart, and yet, Lord God, in reality, they're falling into place according to your plan and your purpose. And so, Father, I just pray that, uh, Lord, we might be encouraged as we go through this book. And we thank you uh, for this chapter this morning. We ask, Lord God, that you would just, uh, just speak to us during the week. Lord, remind us of these things that we've studied this morning. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.